when we use reward charts, what we're doing is we're interfering with a child's natural desire to engage in positive behaviors because they are the right thing to do. But this can be really dangerous because children end up doing the right thing to get the reward rather than doing the right thing because it's the right thing. Welcome to the School Behaviour Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Corrigan. My co-host is Emma Shackleton, and we're obsessed with helping teachers, school leaders, parents, and of course, students when classroom behaviour gets in the way of success. We're going to share the tried and tested secrets to classroom management, behavioural special needs, whole school strategy, and more, all with the aim of helping your students reach their true potential. Plus, we'll be letting you eavesdrop on our conversations with thought leaders from a around the world so you'll get to hear the latest evidence-based strategies before anyone else this is the school behavior secrets podcast hi there my name's simon Corrigan, and welcome to another episode of school behavior secrets hot off the presses Today's sponsor is Dr. Steadfast's Incredible Mind Cream. Simply rub this patented ointment directly onto the folds of your brain to transform your normal thoughts into incredible ones. It's like your normal brain, only better. Brain drill included with your first purchase of a 500ml jar of mind cream. Warning cream may cause blackouts or permanent blindness. Dr. Steadfast, mind cream. Okay, that introduction didn't go in the direction that I thought it would. And that's the voice of Emma Shackleton, co-host of the podcast. Hi, Emma. Hi, Simon. You're feeling okay? Yeah, so I've been using that mind cream all week and it hasn't affected me at all. I've got a question I've been waiting to ask you all week. Actually, it's been fueled by the mind cream this week. Oh, crikey. Go on then. All right. In the words of Owen Paul in his 80s smash hit... What is your favourite waste of time? If that's my cue to sing you're my favourite waste of time, (laughs) I'll spare our listeners that. My favourite waste of time is probably social media scrolling. What's yours? I used to have this game called Merge Mania on my phone. Oh, I just spend hours just merging blocks together. I had to delete it in the end. You've got to know your own weaknesses, don't you? You certainly do. So go on then. What's the link with this week's episode? Well, it's like this. When we go into schools, we see a lot of reward charts being used to incentivize good behavior. But the question is, when it comes to working with them with individual children, are they a waste of time? Do they actually make any difference? And that is what we're going to dig into today. Sounds good, possibly controversial. But before we get to that, I've got a quick request to make of our listeners. If you are enjoying School Behaviour Secrets or if you find it helpful or valuable, please don't keep it to yourself. Could you let three colleagues or friends know about the podcast by using the share button on your app? That said, let's grab a chopstick, pull back the neck of our jumpers, insert the instrument and scratch that back itch we call behaviour. Right then, so reward charts. Let's have a little think about how we use them in classrooms to support children with individual needs and individual behaviour. So let's think about how we use behaviour charts with individuals then. So typically they're used to work on a specific behaviour. I don't know, let's say reducing calling out. Each time the child manages to demonstrate that behaviour, the adult would then award them with maybe a tick or a house point or a dojo or whatever. And the way that that works is every time that the child is rewarded in that way, they get a little kick of dopamine in the reward centre of their brain. And that feels good. So the theory is that we will then be motivated to repeat that behaviour because the child will want another point or another tick or another dojo or whatever it is, because they enjoy the pleasurable sensation that that brings. 
The potential benefits of using behavior charts are things like the ability to track and reward positive behavior. So if you've got a child using a chart, you're able to look back across the week and see, are there any patterns? Is it, for example, that their behavior is pretty good up until playtime, but then after playtime, it goes downhill? You can also increase accountability. So when you've got a chart, when you've got something specific that you're working on, the adult and the child then bring that behavior into focus. And by achieving or not achieving rewards, you've got a good measure there of how the child is doing. It can be helpful to improve communication between teachers and parents. Sometimes people take a photocopy of the reward chart, for example, or the behavior chart, and they send it home on a Friday so that parents can also see what's happening in school. Some children really do find them motivating, in the short term at least. And they can be used to support children with low level behavior and regulation skills, as well as for things like learning specific academic skills. So do they always work? Well, let's have a look at some of the downsides of behavior charts. And one of the obvious ones that stands out to me is the potential for negative effects on the child's self-esteem. So if the adults sat down with them and they're talking about working towards, you know, using a target behavior in class, maybe putting up their hand during whole class time instead of shouting out. If they find that they're still engaging in that shouting out and they're not, say, earning ticks or stickers on that chart, they never sort of realize that end goal of working towards that sort of bigger reward when they've completed their chart. Well, that's going to have an impact on their self-esteem. It's going to reinforce that they're not able to do it. And one of the problems with that is when we're using things like behavior charts, what we're doing is We are assuming that the child is able to engage in the behavior that we want them to. We're assuming that there's no lack of understanding. There's no underlying issue with them accessing that target behavior. And if there is, if there's a lack of understanding, if there's a a missing social skill, and if there's an underlying deficit because they may have a condition like autism or ADHD around restraining impulses or understanding social interactions, then the behavior chart isn't going to help the child make progress. And that's going to lead to them to become disenchanted. It's going to affect their self-esteem. They are going to feel like failures because the assumption is baked into any reward system that you're able to engage in the behavior to achieve the reward. So that lack of effectiveness in that it doesn't address the underlying cause of the behavior problem. It doesn't really ever deal with the root cause of the behavior is a real failure of just using reward charts without thinking about what kind of support has to be in place to enable the child to access the rewards on the chart. Extrinsic rewards rather than intrinsic motivation is another issue. When we use reward charts, what we're doing is we are messing We're interfering with a child's natural desire to engage in positive behaviors because they are the right thing to do. And this is actually, I don't know if you've seen this in the classroom, Emma, but this can be really dangerous because children end up doing the right thing to get the reward rather than doing the right thing because it's the right thing. And then when the reward chart goes away or the reward chart gets boring or someone else comes into class and there's a supply teacher, the child stops engaging in that positive behavior because now they're not getting a kickback. They're not getting a bribe for doing the right thing. And that can kind of interfere with the reason for doing it. And it interferes with the stickiness of that behavior. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. Often the chart loses its effectiveness after a while and it kind of wears off. And sometimes as well, you see behavior charts set up for children and the adults might be really enthusiastic for the first few days or the first couple of weeks. But then after a while, they're kind of lying around on a desk gathering dust somewhere and they haven't really earned anything for a while. And once it feels like it's not priority for the adults anymore, the children quickly realize that they're not going to get that immediate reward. So they get bored and get a bit turned off by it. And when you think about it, children who are neurodiverse, so for example, children with ADHD, might get really turned off by behavior charts because there's often sometimes a kind of secret negative side to it as well. And as soon as the chart becomes a negative behavior management tool, it really does turn kids off especially when that's a very public negative. So many schools now have moved away from this approach. But if you've ever seen a child do the walk of shame to remove a point from the class chart, for example, if they actually got up and did it rather than refusing, that's one thing. But the humiliation that goes with that, having to walk across the classroom and remove a point from the board or them getting that negative dojo sound when a dojo is taken away in front of the whole class, that humiliation becomes a pretty strong motivator to not want to engage with the reward system at all. Better to get no reward than risk that public humiliation of having the reward snatched back at your next wrong move. And of course, a lot of kids who are neurodiverse or maybe have a background of trauma they find school a very stressful, anxiety-provoking place to be. And a result of that, and we talked about this in the past, this moves you towards a state called amygdala hijack, which is where you start thinking emotionally and stop thinking logically and planning ahead and thinking about consequences of your actions and so on. A side effect of amygdala hijack is you tend to become very focused on survival in the now. You stop worrying about what happens in the future You worry about dealing with whatever pressures are facing you at the moment, whether that's social pressure, whether it's cognitive because you're struggling with your work, whether it's about regulating your emotions. You care about the instant, this moment right now. And as a result of that, your behavior is going to look, to some extent, it can look quite random. You're going to look very reactive. You're not going to be thinking about your reward chart. And when you look at the reward chart at the end of the day, what you're seeing is random patterns of behavior because the child's in a state where they're not able to think ahead. So actually what you're reinforcing is a random pattern of behavior that's not building towards long-term consistent implementation of positive behavior strategies or you know regulation strategies because the reward chart isn't actually doing anything. Some days it's appearing to work because the child came into school and they were less anxious and less stressed. Some days it's appearing not to work because the child came in and they're in this high stress state and amygdala hijack. And actually the reward chart is doing nothing either way. And it's just giving you this data that just goes up and down and doesn't mean very much at all. Plus, let's have a look at the long-term effects of reward charts. Well, we know from lots and lots of research, not just in schools, but with adults in industry, that extrinsic systems, which is what reward charts are, tend to have very short-term effects. And that's because they become boring very, very quickly. Kids get used to the rewards. And one of two things happens there. They lose their attraction because they lose their novelty. There's something called the hedonistic treadmill, 
which is imagine that you're, you know, in your job and you're earning some money. Let's imagine you're earning, I don't know, let's pick a number out of the year, £35,000 a year. And the boss walks in and he says, oh, I love the work you're doing in your classroom. I am going to give you a wage increase of £2,000 a year. Well, the first month you open your pay packet, you see that extra money. That's very exciting and very motivating. Month two, well, it's still motivating, but maybe not quite as exciting and new as it was last month. Month three, yeah, you're still getting a little bit of a kick of excitement. By the time you reach month four, month five, month six, it just becomes expected. You just build it into your expectation of what you should be paid to do your job. And it's the same with reward charts in schools. If a child starts to achieve rewards for engaging in certain behaviors, then over time, they start to become part of what they expect of their school life and they just lose their attraction. It's called the hedonistic treadmill. So when we get used to something new, we sort of assimilate it and it becomes an expected part of our life. We start to want the next exciting thing or the next goal because rewards become mundane very, very quickly. I completely agree with what you said there about the reward chart just sometimes being data collection because Sometimes adults fall into the trap of thinking that if they set a goal and attach a reward to it, that will automatically change the behavior. But actually, sometimes there isn't enough emphasis on setting the children up for success. Yeah. So the reward chart just becomes a record of did they do it or did they not? So let's take the example of calling out. If we want a child to stop calling out and we'd like them to raise their hand instead, If we haven't given them reminders, if we haven't kept the waiting time short, if we haven't built the strategies and the structures and put the emphasis on reminding the child about the target before we expect the behavior, what tends to happen is sometimes they'll have a lucky session where they're feeling calm and they don't call out so much. So ping, they achieve the reward. Sometimes they don't manage to control that behavior. They haven't been reminded. They haven't been supported. So we get to the end of the session and we say, right, do you get a point today for calling out? Well, no, you don't because you were calling out too often. So it tends to be after the fact and we just go in, yes, you did or no, you didn't. And when the reward is all in the adult's control like that, it can feel to the child like, It's really just whether the adult is feeling generous or not, whether they get it, and it's not linked to the actual behavior. And and that's a real turn off for kids as well, because especially if adults take the reward back. Yeah. I've probably said this before, but a long, long, long time ago, I was observing in a reception classroom and there was a boy with a great big shiny sticker on his jumper and he'd obviously done something really good earlier in the day. And then he actually hit another child, which is obviously a negative and unacceptable behavior. And the adult went over and peeled the sticker off his jumper and tore it up in front of him. And I was, I mean, that's obviously their frustration, but I was horrified. And the message to the child is, I can take away these rewards or I can give these rewards at my will. And it feels like it's not really in the child's control. And, and as we've said already, lots of children would rather say, well, stuff it then. I don't want the reward. Forget it. I think the analogy here as well is if the child doesn't have the skill, if they're not able to do it, yeah. or there's an underlying cause, meaning they can't access that behavior, it'd be kind of like taking a 17-year-old out on their birthday onto the drive and saying, there's a car. I put an L plate on it. Crack on. <laughs> Crack on, here's a reward chart. And if you come back and you don't crash, you can have a sticker. The teenager, the young person there, hasn't had the training and support 
in order for the reward chart to mean anything. And I think often that's the bit that gets missed out, isn't it? Absolutely. And and as we've said, setting children up to be successful. So if we're going to have a chart, we make it a limited amount of time where we're expecting to see that behavior. And we're very, very clear about what the behavior looks like. And we do everything within our power to support the child to be successful so that they can earn the reward. If they never earn the reward, the chart gets boring because they feel like they're not ever going to be rewarded anyway. And if it's very hit and miss because they haven't been scaffolded and supported to be successful, then it also gets boring because it feels like you're not going to give me the reward anyway, so forget it. I think a lot of people as well aren't aware of the research on positive reinforcement, which is if you are going to use a chart like this to reinforce a behaviour, that reward that reinforcement has to come almost immediately, like within seconds to have an effect at a biological level to get that hit of dopamine that's going to encourage the child to do that again in the future. If they're having to build something up towards the end of the day, say, then actually what you're relying on is delayed gratification to say, I'm not going to do X now so I can receive Y later, or I am going to do this positive behavior now so I can get this reward later. And as we've already said, a lot of the children that need reward charts and need support with their behavior and SMH needs, they live in this high level stress state, which means they're not thinking about the future. They're about they're all about survival now. And then you end up with this kind of mismatched approach and everyone's scratching their heads and wondering why it doesn't work. Absolutely. I mean, the promise of something really good, even if they really, really want it, if it's not going to come for hours or even days later then, you know, it misses the point, doesn't it? It's got to be that short feedback loop. So it's pretty immediate. And then that will reinforce the behavior. Absolutely. So those are our thoughts on behavior charts. Yes, they can have their positive effects. Yes, they can be great for launching a child into a new behavior that you've trained them with, but don't expect them to work in the long term. They have their strengths, but also they have their weaknesses. And I'd also say, I don't know about you, Emma, but also I'd say never be dogmatic, right? Use what works for the child. Just because I've sat there and said intrinsic is better, doing the right thing because it's the right thing is better. If you've got a child who's having difficulty and needs support with their needs and they are lapping up the reward chart and it is affecting their behavior, then use the evidence of your eyes. Don't use the evidence of a dogmatic approach because really our solutions need to be tailored around the individual needs, the individual motivations of individual children, what works for some might not work for others. Oh, absolutely. We all know that there is no one size fits all. And, you know, really good behavior management is trying lots of different things, hitting upon things that work even a little bit and doing more of that. And then when that doesn't work, trying something else, it's always being dynamic and coming up with new ideas and new things. So yeah, never say never. Of course, knowing how to use reward systems effectively is just one part of classroom management, which is where we look at strategies that the adult uses to manage the whole class. But sometimes getting classroom management right can feel like a dark art, especially if you've got a tricky class. And that's where the classroom management score sheet comes in. We've put together a checklist of 37 factors related to rewards and routines, the environment, the classroom and more that all have an impact on classroom behaviour. So if you feel that the behaviour of your class could be better, using the checklist can help to reveal where some small but mighty changes could improve the behaviour of your class for the better. And the good news is the checklist is completely free. If you haven't got yours yet, 
go to beaconschoolsupport.co.uk, click on the free resources option in the menu, and you'll find it near the top of the page. It's completely free, so go and get yours today. And we'll drop a link in the episode description. Finally, if you've liked what you've heard today and you don't want to miss the next episode, open up your podcast app now and tap the subscribe button. Subscribing is completely free and then your podcast app will automatically download each and every episode as it's released so you never miss a thing. And after subscribing, well, you'll feel as chuffed as Grandpa Flump after he stretched his flumping fingers, warmed up his lips and given his prize flumpet an extra special blow. (laughs) That's one for the children of the 80s there, Simon. If you don't know what that means, search it on YouTube. You are in for a rare treat. But before you do that, I'd like to wish everybody a successful week and to say that we look forward to seeing you next time on School Behaviour Secrets. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.